Lord Jesus, tonight we thank you that we have been changed by your love. That in the presence of who you are as King Jesus, that we have been changed and we have been transformed. But I thank you tonight, Holy Spirit, that you are just speaking that there is an empowerment that you are bringing right now in this time. That in the presence of your majesty, that there is an empowerment to shake off the old identities and the lies that we've believed. That tonight you are speaking to us as your children and you are saying to shake off that which is old, that which has been a lie, that which has been a lesser identity than what I have given you as children of the Most High God. That through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I truly believe tonight that there are going to be some identities that we have grabbed a hold of, that we have embraced, that he is calling us to shake off and to remove in this time. Because there is an identity that he has called us to walk in. There is a God-given identity that he has spoken over us. And a lot of us in this room have taken on identities that have been spoken by others in our lives, by the world, by people who have hurt us and have spoken things over us that were not from God. And tonight I really heard that word empowerment. That in the empowerment of being in the presence of Jesus, that we are going to be empowered to step out of those old identities, to step into the righteous kingdom identity that he died to give us. And that as we take that step, that that empowerment is only going to grow. It's only going to increase because it's through that empowerment as we trust in him that we are going to see things change in front of us, that we're gonna see situations that have looked hopeless be turned around because of the empowerment of the spirit. But I truly believe tonight that the first step is stepping out of agreement with the old, with the lies, with the things that we've held on to. I just want to ask Sunday if you would just raise your hands with me as we just allow the Holy Spirit to speak into that place. Lord Jesus, I thank you tonight that you went to the cross. You went to the cross to take the burden of our sin, of our shame, of our past. And that through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the same power that brought you life, that brought you back into the place where God called you to come and to be seated in heavenly places, I thank you tonight that that same power would release us from the bondage of what was in the past, from the hurt and the pain, from the lies of the enemy. I thank you right now, supernaturally, Holy Spirit, that you would just bring a freedom, that you would bring a freedom from that which is old, that we would shed that old identity and that through your empowerment right now, that we would step into the identity that you have for us, King Jesus. Holy Spirit, I just thank you tonight that you are speaking, that you are bringing us into a new place of freedom. And we thank you tonight, Lord Jesus, for what you have done, for what you're going to continue to do, and for the word that you have spoken over us as your children. We love you tonight, we praise you tonight, and we thank you for who you are and who we get to be in you, Lord Jesus. We love you and we praise you. And we all said, amen, amen. Let's just tell Jesus how much we love him one more time tonight. Worship team, thank you so much. Love that song, Majesty. Normally at this time, I ask if we have any first-time visitors. But our ushers have, uh, you know, informed me that we should not do that tonight. So I'm going to ask if you would just be seated at this time. 
I want to welcome you to our church, to the gathering. We are so grateful for everyone who has joined us here tonight. This is our normal Wednesday night service. However, we have opened the doors and we're really excited for what God is going to do here tonight. Uh, even though we're not going to ask for first-time visitors, though, we are going to ask for our ushers to come forward. We are going to collect our tithes and our offerings. We're going to pray over that tonight. So if our ushers can come forward, I would really appreciate that. And we are just going to ask for God's blessing on our giving and what we're entrusting to him tonight. Amen? All right. Let's just close our eyes one more time. Father God, I just thank you for your kingdom. I thank you, Lord God, that we entrust you with what we have because we know that your kingdom is the only kingdom not affected by the systems of this world, by the government, by, by inflation, by everything else, Lord God. And we just choose to trust you with all that we have. And we thank you that you would use it to reach, to influence, and to bring others into your love and into your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So tonight I am excited to get to introduce our, our guest speaker, but not so much a guest anymore. Um, a couple of months ago, my wife and I were at a restaurant that we didn't plan on being in at a time that we didn't expect to be there. I had a gift card. It was Valentine's Day around that time, and we decided, let's go to this restaurant. And God was able to make a connection that we weren't expecting, which has just been so cool. And I just continue to see God making these connections. And who knows that the Holy Spirit is a genius, that he's able to make connections, he's able to bring people together in ways that maybe we wouldn't expect. And so on that night, we met Amanda and her husband, Chris, and it was such an amazing thing because we got to hear some of their story about how they used to be a part of Faith Assembly. And it was just this really cool full, full circle thing when you guys came to the church. And so uh, I didn't honestly know much about who Amanda Grace was. I'm going to be honest. And all of a sudden, my wife said, do you know who that is? That's Amanda Grace. And then a few other people in our church started making it. I'm like, do we have to call security over here? I didn't know Alan at that time. But I, I uh, you know, was just really grateful for Amanda and Chris and just the heart the spirit that you guys bring, you would never know that anybody knows who Amanda is just because of, of her heart. And it's really cool for me to get to introduce and ask Amanda Grace from Ark of Grace Ministries to come up here tonight to share the word. We're so grateful and excited for what God is going to do here and thankful for her willingness to come here tonight and to be a part of our service. So Amanda, thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Praise the Lord. Say hi to everybody on Rumble. I'm setting a timer because Italians like to talk. Chris, can you come up here for a minute? I always bring Chris up first. He is my husband. We actually celebrated our 15-year wedding anniversary yesterday. I tell people I've done 15 years of hard time in this marriage, put a lot into it. And so, yes, I always bring Chris up to start by praying, and you'll probably be able to hear him. But um, I like him to pray first because he is my husband. I honor that. And so he's got the sweetest anointing when he prays. 
so I'm going to let you. Okay. Jesus, Hasua, thank you, Lord. You're healing, filling this temple, my body, Amanda's body, this temple of faith and all this is us. We worship you. We, we come to worship you. We believe what did you did for us and receive it. The Holy Spirit is reigning in this temple. We believe it and receive it right now. And the words through Amanda, I pray, is a blessing for the all the world through your word to the people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Many of you know what I like to say before I start. I like to completely turn over to the Lord. So by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, by the spirit of the one true living God, may only the truth and power of almighty God with authority now come forth in Jesus' name. Father, allow me the humble privilege of being a vessel of your power. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. It was a, a divine meeting in that Italian restaurant <laughs> that I met Pastor Sam and his lovely wife, Jamie. Actually, we have mutual friends, Rich and Louise Lombardi, who happen to be on my board. We have mutual friends in common. Uh, and so we were out with them when we met them. And it is true, it is a full circle type of season. The Lord has brought me back here after 20 years. He has brought me back to this church, and I'm very grateful for that. When Chris Travel and I, as much as we do, we need teaching also. We need great teaching, and Pastor Sam is a great teacher. And so we need to get filled up also. And so I thought, what better way, because so many people in this church influence my life, and we want to get some people delivered and set free tonight by the end of the night. So what better way than to give my testimony to build the faith level in the room? We want to build that faith level up. Faith is the substance, of th the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It is a substance. It's a powerful one. It's a weapon. Faith is a weapon. It's one of the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down and destruction of strongholds. So some of you have heard some of my testimony. You're going to hear more of it tonight. There's a lot to it. There is a lot that I've been through since I'm young. There's a lot the Lord has brought me through. There's a lot he set me free from in my life. And so I'm going to begin, because we're, don't worry, we're going to get to the animals. We're going to get to them, I promise. We're going to get to them. I'm from the Bronx, New York. I was born at Einstein Hospital. Sometimes it's funny, even at the beginning of our lives where we're born, says a lot about what we might get involved with or what we might do. And from a very young age, the enemy decided, you see, the enemy can see anointing in the realm of the spirit on you. He doesn't know what God is going to do with it because he's not omniscient, he's not omnipotent, he's a fallen host and he's defeated. 
And I like to remind him of that a lot when he wants to get on my last nerve. See, Italian women have a nuclear button. And when you detonate it, you have about five seconds to hide behind a piece of furniture because we're going to blow. So the Lord has just harnessed that now into the prophetic and at the kingdom of darkness because I want to make the enemy for the rest of his life have a giant headache for what he tried to do to me. And do it for the glory of God, most, uh, first and foremost. So by the age of four, I was born into a very crazy, dysfunctional Italian family. You know, the kind that says we're not arguing, we're having a discussion and they're screaming at each other like that was my family. So by the age of four, I'm found blue in my crib and I was rushed to the hospital and I was diagnosed with such severe asthma that I was in and out of the hospital uh, most of my younger years. In fact, I was so sick, they had me in oxygen tents that I could not breathe outside of them. So they'd hospitalize me at Westchester Medical Center and because we were down in that area at the time and I was in oxygen tents and I couldn't breathe. And they had me on an enormous amount of steroids and medications and trying to keep my lungs open. Uh, this didn't make for a good combination with my parents. It just made my father smoke more. It made things more dysfunctional in their marriage. It didn't help things, but the enemy likes to work in cycles. He loves cycles. It's one of his key, uh, key attacks, key strategies that he uses is to keep you in generational cycles. And so the enemy from that age was trying to do that to me because when we are children, we do not have the defenses we have when we're adults. And it's easier to fracture us as children so the enemy can rewire us. So by the time we enter young adulthood, our parents don't know what happened to us. It all starts in our souls and with trauma from a very young age. And so from a very young age, I could see in the spirit at the age of six, I would say, do you know there are throne rooms in heaven and this is what they look like? And I saw them and I described them and I would see angels and what was prophecy would shoot out of my mouth, but I could not harness it at such a young age. I was very good at putting things together and figuring out things I couldn't process because I was too young to process it, but I could put together that it was going on. And so one of these times this proved problematic for my parents because I was hospitalized and I was on an IV and the old-fashioned IVs that were computerized, you'd have to press a bunch of buttons to be able to unhook it to walk a patient around. Well, I had been watching the nurses do this for days now and I was about seven years old. And my father was sleeping on a cot next to my hospital bed. He had decided to stay over at the hospital. Well, he wouldn't wake up and I had to go to the bathroom. Bathroom was down the hallway. So I looked around, I went, doo, 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 doo. I, I totally unhooked the IV. Paused it, unhooked it, walked myself down the hallway. By the time I come out of the bathroom, my father slides out into the hallway in his socks, not knowing where I am. The nurses were looking for me, they were all looking for me, and they were baffled I could figure out how to do that. So, and I was told, oh honey, you must never do that again. 
because you don't know what you're doing. And I thought, yes, I do. I know how to unhook this. But they wanted to keep me tabs on me and in my room. So this ended up going well into my teenage years, and we'll get into that. But I actually uh, attended because we went from the Bronx to bordering the Bronx, the south end of New Rochelle, New York. And I went to Jefferson Elementary School. And so this was a time when things were about to happen in my parents' marriage, round one. And so I ended up with the whole school taking an IQ test. And I was very young. I must have been maybe eight or nine years old. I was very young. Well, my parents got a call because my maiden name is Carbone. I've got Carbone and Rizzo on each side of the family. Mr. and Mrs. Carbone, your daughter has one of the highest scores in the entire school. And we want to put her in an accelerated program called TAG. And so I ended up going into TAG at a time when my parents' marriage was going to take a very horrific turn for the worse because, well, my dad wasn't a believer, first of all. He wanted nothing to do with God, would erupt when you talk about God. If, I, if he did that now, I'd rebuke it in Jesus' name and be done with it. I mean, I would just say absolutely not. But as a kid, you see this and you're afraid because my father and his family were under a lot of demonic influence at the time. So he wanted nothing to do with God and he was very uh, vocal about that. So everything from a young age was internalized for me, my relationship with the Lord. And so my mom came from a very broken family as well. So you have two broken people that have not dealt with their issues that have now gotten married. And now they've had kids. They had me and I have a younger brother. And so on my father's side, I've got my grandfather who is very much into gambling and is a Vietnam War vet with a ton of emotional issues. And my grandmother, Rose, she had four kids. Michael, my youngest uncle, was born legally deaf, legally blind, and unable to speak because my grandmother contracted measles when she was pregnant with him. And so all the effort kind of went into Michael and the three other kids, my father, his brother, and their sister, kind of fell by the wayside. And they kind of had to fend for themselves and run amok. And they were both raised Catholic. And so my mother ended up becoming a born-again believer at about the age of 24. I was born at the age of, which I think she was about 28 years old when I was born. My mother's side, I had my papa who tried to get into local politics. And I had my nana and my papa who slept in separate bedrooms. She claimed it was because he snored. That was, she lied to me. That wasn't the truth. That was not the truth. The truth is there were some really deep-seated things going on. Um, and so all I saw from a young age is fighting in marriage. That's all I saw. That was it. Fighting and, and, and uh, you know, extramarital activities that shouldn't be going on. And so that is what I saw from a very young age. Now, interestingly enough, too, my papa was a vet. He was a vet of the Korean War. So I have vets. Thank you for your service, all of you out there who are vets and veterans. We love you. It's not an easy job, not by a long shot. So my parents were in a difficult marriage, and my father had severe emotional issues. And what ended up happening is 
she ended up going down a very dark path. Now, ironically, my father wants nothing to do with God, but he's working for all Orthodox Jews. He worked for an Orthodox Jew named David. He worked for Manischewitz. He worked for Condemn. I was started learning about all the Jewish holidays from a very young age. Now, there is a part of my family that is Hungarian that is believed to be of Jewish descent. So it's interesting I started learning about all of this from such a young age. He'd actually get grumpy, and that's how I know it was either Passover or Rosh Hashanah because he had to work extra hours to do their planograms. And my father, one thing he was, he was excellent with numbers, he loved animals, and he was a jokester. And so he would have to go down to Monroe, New York, and all these other places, and some of them have very um, tight-knit Orthodox communities. He called me one day, and this is when I was older, and he goes, you're never going to believe what happened to me. I got pulled over by the Hasidic police. <laughs> he said, and they asked me what I was doing, and he said, I'm stocking your shelves. And he drove off. My father was a bit of a wise guy, you know what I mean? He, he had a bit sometimes of a sharp tongue. But the Lord wastes nothing. So like at a young age, I'm learning all of this. The, the Lord wastes nothing. Even if it looks like a mess, he's not going to waste it. If you will listen to him and submit and go through the process with him, he won't waste a drop of what you've been through, I promise you. He won't waste a drop. Romans 8:28 says, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That is all things, not just some things. All things, not that all things are good, all things work together for good for those who love God. My father ended up working a second job at Yonkers Raceway because he liked to bet on horses, and, which the Lord used later on too, because many of you heard me talk about the Kentucky Derby and the, and, and the Triple Crown and these interesting names that enter. The Lord probably went, oy vey, how am I going to use this? This kid's being teaching this. How am I going to use this later on in life? But he did. My father also liked to play poker and do things of that nature. And all his friends sounded like they had names for mafia movies. So we had Big Blue, Johnny Bolt, Seaman, and Johnny Fun. And this is the crew he hung with. And so he did not like, well, my mother didn't like, I learned to play poker from them because I'm watching this as a kid. This is what I'm watching going on. I'm learning this. My father happened to be good at it because he was excellent with numbers. So he could have put his talents into something else. This is what, this is what he chose to do. He also put me in every sport imaginable because he wanted a boy first and he got me. So he put me in softball, roller hockey, bowling. I played tackle football with the kids in my building. I skateboarded, I ollied, I rollerbladed, I collected baseball guards and I fished with my father. He liked to fish and I was the one that would get up at 5 a.m. to go with him. So I would go do that with him. He also thought it would be a good idea to teach me about hockey fights in the NHL and call me in only when they were fighting, <laughs> which my mother was none too happy about. Thank God God has a sense of humor because he probably looked at this and just went, oh my goodness, I'll work it out later on. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I think the Lord looks at what goes on. I'll work it out later on. I'll work it together. So my mother ended up because she was a new believer, taking us to Van Nest Full Gospel on Holland Avenue in the Bronx, which is now Assemblies of God. And I was raised in a very spirit-filled Pentecostal church. 
And it was sort of an escape for me because the combination of my mother and my father could be downright toxic. So I witnessed a lot of fighting and betrayals in the marriage. Because your kids watch you in your marriage and they'll imitate it. And if they don't get their head straight with the Lord and, 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 and clean themselves out, they end up becoming a, a, a victim of their own making because they end up entering the same process. So this was the, what the enemy was gonna try to do with me. And, and the Lord, since he sees so far ahead, he already knew this. But the Lord was protecting me through this all. He was protecting my life. He was protecting my health, even though I wasn't well. And, and he really was being a hedge. Sometimes people go, where was God? He was there. He was protecting your life. He was sparing your life. And sometimes people don't realize that. Realize that. Holidays, too, very dysfunctional. We had Christmas Eve at my grandmother's house. We had Christmas Day at my nana's house. They always talked about how they didn't like my grandmother's sauce. The battle, is it sauce? Is it gravy? What is it? I mean, I, I bought the T-shirt for this. And so my nan could cook. I mean, she could really cook. And in fact, at the age of six, she put me on a chair and said, now you watch me because one day you're going to have to cook for your husband. I'm six. <laughs> they start you early, the old-fashioned ones. I remember them on, oh my gosh, Christmas Day, they have to get out the demi-tasse set with the anazette and argue over Trivial Pursuit. And this was my childhood. Best thing, pastries from Sal and Dom's on Allerton Avenue. That was the best thing about it. I always kind of went off of my toys and did my own thing because I didn't want to deal with the arguing and the fighting and the underhanded comments, you know, and my, and my papa yelling Gloria 50 times, my grandmother's name because she was either in the shot of his new video camera or he wanted his apple pie or whatever else was going on. So at the age now of nine, my father suddenly stopped staying at the apartment because at that point we were on Pelham Road in New Rochelle and so he is now not living there anymore. And at a young age, you know, I could see in the spirit, I could discern things that I was not old enough to process. And I was not old enough to know how to harness the prophetic gift yet. So I started watching and realizing, and I blurted out, Dad has a girlfriend, doesn't he? I'm nine. I discerned it. No one told me. No one said anything in front of me, but I discerned it. Well, my mother sent my father a letter telling him I'd figured this out, which she was very well known for her letters, and all it did was gaslight things and make things worse. You know, sometimes the Lord wants to be the loudest voice in the room and we have a hard time letting him because we want to be the loudest voice. Sometimes I'm going to say something, he'll go, don't you dare, Amanda. You let me deal with this. And I got to back it up and go, okay, Lord. And that took a long time because, you know, we want to go from zero to 60 Italian people. That's what we want to do. I think it's all of that ingrated anger going back to the old Roman Empire. I just think it's like generations and generations of packed down anger. So the Lord had to unpack that with me, although I wasn't as volatile in that sense as other family members were. I was an incredibly sensitive kid, uh, which would work well for me later on. And basically, this woman was much younger than my dad, 15 years younger. He had met her at the racquetball club he was going to because he was an excellent racquetball player. He loved it. And he was in tournaments. And he was really good at it. And so 
Now they're legally separated, and like this is the battle royale. And I would be on, I'd be on the phone with my dad, and suddenly I would hear, put your mother on the phone or I'm gonna rip her eyes out of her head. This is what I would hear. These are the things that went on in my childhood. Um, he would come to pick us up for visitation, more letters, more gaslighting, because the two of them couldn't get out of each other's way because of everything they had been through in their own families that they didn't say, you know what, I'm getting off all this spin cycle of dysfunction, I'm done. I reached that point. And we'll get to that, because I could have never went through what I went through with my husband had I not. And so, at one point, my father ended up in a mental hospital, and on Christmas Eve, we had to go visit him there for severe emotional issues and something called, I think, psychotic obsession. And so my Uncle Nicky, his brother, and his wife, my Aunt Maureen, brought us there at the age of nine on Christmas Eve to see him. So this is like in a very oppressive time in our lives, what's going on. And it, it'll, numb a, it'll numb a child very fast, you know? And they start finding escape routes quickly, you know what I mean? In their minds and in activities and other things just to try to escape what's going on. So my father ends up at some point returning home for two short weeks. Well, my father had not been delivered, set free. He didn't accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He didn't want to change, so he decides, I'm not ready to come home yet. Well, my mother went to tell us in their bedroom, and next thing I know, my father flies into a demonic rage comes tearing in, grabs me and my brother by my shirt, throws us so hard up against the closet door, we fell like rag dolls. And he went after my mother. And I heard her say, in the name of Jesus Christ, Satan, I rebuke you. She screamed it. That was the first time I had ever seen the name of Jesus used, and it stopped it in its tracks, the attack. Just stopped it. I'm in the middle dragging my younger brother out into the hallway to get him to safety. I'm about 10 years old at this point. I'm dragging him with his little car he liked to ride on into the hallway to get him to safety, to get him away from that because I was afraid of him getting hurt. And I was numb at that point. I was completely numb. I showed no emotion. Um, I think I learned at a young age to try to check my emotions so I didn't have to just be hurt all the time by what was going on. And so I had him out in the hallway playing. Well, the police are called, my nan and papa are called. It was just, it was a mess. And I was hoping at that point that they would just completely separate because I, I didn't want to go through it anymore. You know, my brother was, was, was having severe emotional issues at a young age. He would talk about lighting himself on fire and doing all sorts of stuff that just no young child should talk about. So... My father and my mother ended up a couple months later reconciling, and I didn't know. So I come home from school, and I open the door, and there he is with the Nintendo set up, and I just could feel, in the realm of the spirit, the jail cell door shut and lock, and I felt like I had been put in prison. And my father wanted very little to do with the Lord still, although he would come to church on special occasions. He would come to church to watch me and my brother, uh, he would do that, but he wanted very little to do with the Lord. By the time I'm a teenager, it's throwing me into horrific 
stomach, gastrointestinal issues. I had multiple operations. I had my gallbladder removed. I had an ERCP. When they tried to open a duct, I got such severe pancreatitis, my heart rate dropped to 40. And they had to try to race to get it back up. So I wouldn't go into cardiac arrest and I was 17 years old. I missed so much school, I had to go to school in the hospital. Because trauma will do that to you if you don't deal with it. Trauma is the root cause of much sickness. That's why the enemy goes for trauma first. He doesn't really go for sickness first, he goes for trauma. Because trauma tills the soil for sickness to grow. And so, by the time I'm 18 years old now, and I'm still fighting these severe issues, I was accepted to go to Siena College in Loudonville, New York. And I went off to college. I was very sheltered. My brother was allowed to run amok. I was sheltered. So college was a shock to my system. But I will tell you, when I left all of that, within six months, all of these issues cleared up. All of them, gone because that's what it'll do to you if you don't separate for yourself from it, if you don't emotionally separate yourself from what is going on, which is sometimes really hard to do. I will tell you, many things happened in college where the Lord protected me, my roommate, my crazy roommates. I was like the mom that was always making sure they were gonna be like in the streets doing something stupid. And so I ended up um, witnessing to them a lot and even in my infantile stages, because you think you know everything in your 20s and, and your late teens, you know nothing. You know nothing. And so they would come to me because you were required to take religious classes at Siena. Amanda, I have a test on Abraham and Isaac in 30 minutes. I need to know everything. So I would, I would tell them. And so this taught me. I'm grateful I went there because it taught me to defend my faith at a young age. We're not, we're not bubbled away in saran wrap from the world. We are in this world, we're not of it. Our citizenship is in heaven, but we have to learn how to defend our faith and deal with temptation in it. So I'm grateful I went there because it began to teach me at a young age how to defend my faith and how to deal with temptation and how to do all of these things. I actually ended up getting it was kind of funny, I got a job at Hannaford and Colony as one of their customer service, and I was the fastest one on the lotto machine. I could get through a line of 20 in minutes. It was actually quite comical. And so this is what I did for work when I, while I was in college, and I needed to work also because in the middle of my junior year, I came home for Christmas break, and four days before Christmas, my parents announced they were getting divorced. It was the Christmas from the pits of hell assigned is exactly what it was. They announced they were getting a divorce and I was so uncomfortable being back home, I couldn't wait to get back to school. The infighting, the nonsense, the, you know, the, the lack of maturity, the lack of anybody wanting to deal with any real issues, you know, and it, me and my brother are being thrown in the middle of this now. Even at our ages, I mean, I'm 19 at that point, 19 going, I think I was about 20 years old at that point. And so I'm thrown in the middle of this divorce, like uh, possession. And so there was no money, so I had to work 30 hours a week and take five classes. 
in order to graduate on time. You see, it's so hard for kids from divorce because the very thing that gave them life has died. Divorce is a death. It is a death of a relationship. And the same thing that gave them life has now died. It's very confusing for them to sort through in their minds. Like I said before, God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Not the world's purpose, not your family's purpose, his purpose. And so I ended up graduating with a Bachelor of Science in Finance from Siena. I inherited my father's ability with numbers. And so I ended up graduating from there. And about a year and a half later, I end up at a company called Globop Financial Services. And they had given everyone a financial IQ test who they were going to potentially hire. And apparently the highest score was a 40 and I scored an 80. I doubled their highest score and so they hired me almost on the spot at a salary way beyond entry level getting out of college. And they threw me into a shark tank. They threw me on their second largest fund worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Stocks, bonds, puts, commodities, currencies, derivatives, you name it, I was accounting for it. And they put me with this very comical Italian guy named Tony, who thought he was a comedian. And so it kept hard work light because I had to be into work at 6 a.m. because the other half of the fun was in London and it's already 11 a.m. in London. So I had to be into work super early. But you know what? That started to teach me discipline and stewardship at a young age. That's what it started to do. I was there at Globop, I'd say about nine months, and close to my 23rd birthday. Now, I was in shape. I played a lot of sports. It didn't matter. Close to my 23rd birthday, I started to feel very fluish, and I collapsed and I was rushed to the hospital. This is where the enemy was going to take his shot to try to completely take my life, do away with me before I could ever fulfill what God created me on earth to do. You see, we have gifts, talents, and abilities, and then there's what's written in the books of heaven about us, what we're created to do on earth. And those gifts, talents, and abilities are there to equip us for that. And when you align with the will of God and what you're created to do, things fire on all cylinders because the power of God just comes right in and goes before you. And it's an amazing thing. So I'm sent home, they, they think I have limes. I don't, I don't have a bullseye, I, I never got bit by a tick. I was negative, but they start me on doxycycline and I worsened. And so the next year and a half, I would go to 14 doctors. And I had to go on disability because it was weeks and I hadn't returned to work and Globap called for a year to see if I was well enough to come back to check on me. They called for a year. And so I ended up at Columbia Presbyterian with a doctor. His name was Dr. David Adams. I said, two biblical names. I like it. I like this doctor. Now, right before that, I had started coming to Faith Assembly. This is where Faith Assembly is going to enter the picture now. This is where it's going to enter. So I started coming to Faith Assembly. And I started going to a group called The Crossing, their young adults group. And the, the Lombardi's kids were there. Tamer and Kelly Abbasad were there. In fact, they met there. They met there. I remember Jeremy and Julene 
and there was a host of other young adults, and they couldn't find anyone to run it at the time. So us crazy, immature kids took it over. We said, we'll run it ourselves. And so we ended up um, just taking turns and running the crossing. Now, in the middle of this, I'm getting these IVIG treatments, which are a form of chemo, which give you a human uh, high-level immune system that you supposedly don't have. They make you very sick, and I was getting them every two weeks. So when I get to Dr. Adams, my, my blood pressure was so low, it had dropped to 70 over 50, he admitted me at Columbia Presbyterian. And the group from The Crossing said, we're gonna venture down to New York City and see Amanda. And they did, they came down. I just started going and they came down and I, I, that really touched me uh, that they would do that because they were all very young at this point. They were in their early 20s. And so I ended up being discharged after Dr. Adams tells me, I think you have POT syndrome which stands for pastoral orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. He did a tilt table test. And I think also you have an unidentified autoimmune disease that I can't quite pinpoint yet. But I couldn't walk, so he says, I'm gonna to have to admit you to Burke, rehabilitation in White Plains. So after Thanksgiving, I was put in Burke. And I spent Christmas and New Year's there of 2004. And I couldn't walk. I could barely walk. They had me in a wheelchair. I could walk a little, but I could, I could not walk more than maybe you know, five, six feet at the time. And so I ended up meeting at Burke. It seemed wherever I go, the Lord wanted to try to utilize me. Even in my broken, sick state, he, he still will use you. And so there was a young boy named Michael there, and Michael ended up getting jumped in the South Bronx and paralyzed from the chest down. And Michael was angry at the world. And the therapist couldn't get him to cooperate in physical or occupational therapy. So they had, one of them had the brilliant idea. They said, let's pair Amanda up with Michael and see what happens. We felt like guinea pigs, like this is an experiment. They don't know what's gonna happen here. So I tied a bandana around my head and I challenged him to a game of Connect Four. And that did it. And Michael, began to open up and we became friends. And by the time I left Burke, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So praise the Lord for that. I kept in touch with Michael for a long time. And so I couldn't help wherever I went. I, I must have looked like, you know, a war victim, but I couldn't help talking about the Lord. I was just, I was wired that way. Even in my frustration, I actually had a Jordanian roommate. She was, her sister was constantly trying to find ways to marry me into their family. Constantly. Sweetest people. But it was, it, was, it was comical. It was just wherever I went, if I was admitted, what happened, funny things would always happen. I couldn't help but laugh. I couldn't help but crack jokes. It was just the way I was kind of wired. Which the joy of the Lord is your strength. So in the middle of something, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's going to keep you going. So when I finally come out, I return home. I've come, I return back to living with my mom. And I end up, which I started doing this in the city when I was younger, I started rescuing injured pigeons and kittens and anything I could find. 
So I start this now. I turn the garage into a small rescue, and I start hand-feeding raccoons and other wild animals that would come by. They come out of the woods. One of them, his name was Rocky, tap on the back door and look for me. <laughs> and I'd give him chicken and cornbread. And he'd sleep on our furniture waiting for me. Scared my friends. They were like, will you shut that door? What are you doing? I'm like, they're just coming. And I'm just feeding them. They're coming, I'm feeding them. And I did the same thing. I, I must have adopted out over 70 cats within three years. Took them in. Um, sometimes had to domesticate them a bit from being out in the wild, would find good homes for them, would adopt them out. So this was the process of building the ark. I was in the process of building the ark, even back then. And it taught me stewardship. It taught me to be faithful in the little things. It's not little if God tells you to do it. If he tells you to do it, it's an important assignment. And he's had me do some wacky things where my husband was just shaking his head like, what is she doing? That's why Chris has so much gray hair. I've done that to him over the years. It's beautiful, though. It's curly and it's blonde and it's just, you know, he's a surfer now. Chris used to have short hair and now he's grown it. He says he's trying to grow it longer than mine. And we're in a competition together. So in the middle of this, I'm rescuing animals also to try to escape the fact that my father and brother now both have psychiatric issues. And my brother is coming over and punching holes in the wall. And he was admitted to psych wards multiple times in which I was drug up there to see him in my weakened state, which let me tell you, the amount of demons walking around there, I can't, you walk in and it's just you the oppressiveness, you could cut it. It's so thick. They need prayer. They do. Because a lot of them see things in the spirit. And it, it, I think it ends up sometimes making them, you know what I mean, go down a, a much different path. And so I ended up going there to see him. And my father, at the same time, is battling a lot of anxiety and emotional issues from what he went through when he was younger. The enemy's trifecta is the cycle of dysfunction, trauma, and sickness altogether. That's his trifecta. If he can get all three going at the same time, he can disable you so it would be very difficult to be utilized. And that's what he wants to do. At this time, I started counseling here at Faith Assembly with Pastor Lou Iannone. And Pastor Lou introduced me to the deliverance ministry and the authority I have through Christ Jesus. And he prophesied over me. And he said that the Lord was going to take me to the highways and byways to speak his word. That people would be drawn to me and then they would hear what comes forth out of my mouth from the Lord, the power of God. He also told me that I had to break away from what was going on in my family because it was too controlling and too toxic and I needed to get well. He was like a spiritual dad to me, Pastor Lou. He's with the Lord now. And so he spoke into my life at a very volatile time. There was also a woman here at the time whose name was Brigitte, and she had spoken a lot into my life. And she would come over and pray with me. At the age of 26, I had had a dream. I dreamt a lot back then. I was a dreamer, and I would have very vivid dreams. And I was standing at an enormous room I couldn't see to the back, and there was a nation at each table, stretched so far back I couldn't even see, and I was preaching to the nations. She didn't know this. 
So she comes to pray over me. I'm sick. I'm, I'm way too thin. I'm not doing well. And she comes to pray over me. And she starts praying in the spirit. And she says, Amanda, the Lord is going to raise you up into a prophetic ministry. And it's going to be a driving force in the world. And it's going to have a healing aspect to it. And it's going to be a different kind of ministry. And the Lord is going to build it brick by brick himself. And you are going to let him. That was at 26. That was prophesied over me. It was hard to process being so unwell and hearing this, what I was in for. But 13 years later, at the age of 39, I would be fully ready to step into what the Lord birthed me into this earth to do. It was not long after that I ended up at John 316 Christian Center because I had to leave faith because of circumstances going on with other family members, unfortunately, and it was very hard for me. And so I went to John 316 Christian Center with Pastors Wayne and Mary Ann Berry, and this is where I met Chris. This is also where a friend introduced me to my godmother, Barbara, who I speak of, who mentored me in the prophetic. She's been in the prophetic ministry for over 30 years. Chris was blonde hair, he was blue-eyed, he had not a shred of Italian in him. And my crazy Italian family would say, what is it with you that you like these blonde hair, blue eyed guys? Why can't you date an Italian? I go, because I've seen enough of you growing up. I'm done. I'm done. I was walking with a cane. I'm on IVIG. And Chris looks past all of that. He was also 14 years older than me. So he found an Italian mother flipping her lid over that. I'm 29 at the time. Um, and it didn't bother him all of this. He had, had a he had gotten a degree in biblical studies from Northeastern. And he went into construction afterward and he strayed Chris and he came back to the Lord about a year or so before we met. And so the enemy knew he was called and anointed also and had tried to take his life multiple times. So now we meet. And Chris had actually, when he was 17, he was in an accident where he hit a snowmobile, he hit a wall at 60 miles an hour in a snowmobile. And he had suffered a brain injury from that that got swept under the rug, but the Lord spared his life. So when I meet Chris, I don't know this. I knew about the accident. I didn't know about what had happened to his brain from the accident. The Lord had told me five years into our marriage that he was going to expose it, that it was all going to come out in the wash. We were married seven months after we met, and we've been married 15 years. Praise the Lord. So three weeks into us dating, his sister Carol once already put me in the family portrait. It was really weird. It was like, Carol just knew. Carol's from a different gene pool because she's adopted. So I always say, Carol's from a, she got a totally different personality than Chris and his, and his biological sister. And Carol is very good at discerning things. And the Lord's working on Carol. And we're praying for her. But she, she had this knack for discerning things. And when Chris and I got married, you know, we had both brought our own baggage in. And the Lord probably said, like, this is going to look like a complete mess at the beginning, but it's going to turn out really well on the back end. And so I'm sure the Lord thinks about this stuff when he looks at it. Thank God he sees it over the block of time and goes, it's okay. It looks like a mess now. It's going to be okay later on. And so that was our marriage. And 
we moved to Hopewell Junction, New York, and all I had seen growing up was fighting, so guess what I wanted to do? I wanted to fight over every little thing. I wanted to fight. I was emotionally wounded. I was wounded in my soul from everything I had gone through between my parents and sickness and all these things, and I hadn't worked them out yet. And so it was hard because Chris is more like his dad where he wants to like walk away. And I'm more like, get back here, we're not done. You know, I'm much better now. The Lord whittled me down over time. After everything I had been through, the Lord had whittled me down with that. But we had very opposite personalities. You know, I, I'm, the, I'm the combination of Italian that's known as a firecracker. So it's like the 4th of July when something happens when I was younger. And so we ended up butting heads about a lot of things. And I ended up being a stay-at-home housewife because I couldn't work. Because I'm on these treatments, I'm in out of the hospital. And so I ended up doing that. And I started feeding all the wild birds on the property. And the Lord opened the door for us to take a dog in named Roxy, who was from a high kill shelter down south. And with two days left to live and off of a picture, he told me to get her. And I did. Another dog who we named Gracie showed up with a hernia. She was an abused beagle hound mix. And nobody claimed her, so I took her in also. Not long after that, I get a call from my sister-in-law, Carol. I get all the animal calls in the family, all of them on both sides. And so she had an injured female mallard duck, which I promptly went and got and put in our bathtub. And Chris decided to come over work that day, and on the phone I said, I have something to tell you, don't be mad. There's a duck in our bathtub. Oh, a man that's going to fly all around the bathroom, and he's flipping his lid. And I found a rehabber that, that took little Chloe, and she ended up recovering. I had a wild tom turkey. This is where Chris knew was something was up and things were changing. I had a wild tom turkey. I would call Tim every morning. He'd come running down the driveway, and I'd feed him. Tommy, every morning. And Chris would watch this wild tom just come running down the driveway. He's like, I've never seen anything like this in my life. We're the remake of Green Acres. I'm from the city. He's from the country. We have a pig. God remade the show with us. So I had a deer come through who I named Daisy. She lost her herd, took care of her. She'd come up to me. Then she found a herd and moved on. And so these things would go on. And Brigitte had put it... Oh, oh, you're, oh that is Gideon, Blossom, and Snow. Three of our rescues. And so... At this point, um, I was reminded, oh, there's Noble, there's Noble, he's with us now, that Brigitte had said something to me when she, she watched these raccoons come out of the woods and was like stunned, you know, when I was younger. She said, the animals are coming out because they can see the anointing on you that people can't yet. Isn't that interesting? She was very profound. And so, four years into our marriage, oh, that's Mr. Pete, and there's Chester, yep. And so, four years into our marriage at the age of 33, I ended up having my complete Job experience. If all of this wasn't bad enough, the enemy was going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at me and try to take my life. And so, I ended up getting so sick with pneumonia, I had to be rushed to the hospital. And by the time I got there, my left lung had shut down. 
and it was affecting my heart and I was put in the cardiac care unit and I lost the ability to walk. My brains and legs kind of lost communication. And trying to get into the wheelchair to go to the bathroom, my heart rate would shoot up to 165 beats a minute and set off alarm bells at the nurse's station. And this battle went on and I ended up getting a little bit better. They put me in a regular wing and one morning the respiratory therapist came, he wanted me to blow into a peak flow meter to kind of just measure how well I was breathing. Well, I did it and it felt like somebody plunged a knife into my chest and I couldn't breathe and, and they did an echocardiogram on me and it registered I was having a heart attack at the age of 33 years old. And they called the code and I was surrounded then by 10 doctors and nurses that began to work on me, put things under my tongue, they were drawing blood and it was too early for Chris or my, or my family to be there and they're racing me back down to cardiac care and I said a very simple prayer. I said, Lord, I'm scared, but I know you can stop this heart attack. I know you can reach in and stop it. Help me. And they got down to cardiac care. They did another echocardiogram and the heart attack vanished. It vanished. <laughs> Praise God. And the machine didn't malfunction. They checked it. They're in the corner looking at these two vastly different papers, not knowing what happened. The Lord had intervened and spared my life. He had intervened. And so I ended up going to a rehab and I spent about two months, I think, there. And I was told I would never walk again. Never. And I come home from that rehab in a wheelchair with these contraptions on my legs that force your legs to try to stand. And Chris had to work six days a week. So I'm alone at this point. I'm very alone. I had an aide that came twice a week for like three hours. And family that stopped by, but besides that, they got me an electric wheelchair so I could go outside and take Roxy out. And that was my time of isolation with the Lord. I wasn't alone because he was there but it was a very difficult time. I was only home for about a week and a half. I got admitted with bronchitis. Put a pick line in because they were making me a pin cushion and it runs up your arm to your heart so they can just put IVs in at will. I come home, a couple weeks later, the attack of all attacks happens. I wake up, I am so sick, I feel like I'm gonna die. My arm is swollen that's got the pick line in it. And Chris can barely get me in the car to get me to the hospital. When I get down there, they took one look at my arm and they raced to do blood work because they suspected that I had MRSA and become septic, which I was. And the doctors did not think my body had what it took to fight this off that I was gonna die. And massive amounts of prayer went out. The pastors called the intercessory prayer church. The massive amounts of prayer went out, praise God. And what happened from that, over 24 hour period, my numbers doubled. My numbers doubled, they came up a lot. And Dr. Singh came in to me and said, you know, Amanda, I'm shocked, your numbers have doubled. We didn't think your body had what it needed to fight this. We, we really thought you were going to die. And I told him how much prayer had went up and he said, well, it worked. And he left the room and he discharged me a week later. I come home in a wheelchair, completely medically paralyzed for all intents and purposes. You try to pick me up, I flop back in my chair. 
and I have to get used to life in a wheelchair. And I spent a year and a half in that wheelchair, and that is when the training from the Lord really started. The intense biblical training started. I was alone. He had me alone. He was starting to deal with things for me. And Barbara was starting to speak into my life more and more. And so a year and a half later comes, and that morning I woke up and the Lord had told me I had to go to church that day. That I, he knew I was not feeling well, but this was important. So I tell Chris, we get me dressed. It was an odyssey for him to get me out the door. Into our vehicle, and we go to church. And Pastor Wayne and Mary and Barry say, we want everyone to come up to the front, kind of look like this. We want you to walk up on stage, and when you go past us, we're going to pray over you. So Chris has me in this line, and I'm going, what am I doing in this line? I can't walk up the stage. So I get to them, and Pastor Mary Ann bends down to me, and she goes, Amanda, do you want to walk? And I call this my get-out-of-the-boat moment. Because was I going to focus on Jesus and trust him that he is Jehovah Rapha. He is our healer. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Or was I going to stay in that chair, which had become like a prison? And I said, I want to walk. So they began to pray. And as they began to pray, I felt something happening to my legs. And Chris was there. And with the three of those help, I stood up for the first time in a year and a half. Praise God. And you could have heard a pin drop. And so I fought with every step across that stage. I was sweating. I fought for every step, but my legs had begun to work. Now, in the meantime, another physical therapist had come who was working with me. His name was Gary. He was Catholic, and he had always wanted to see a miracle. Well, he was going to get one. So Monday he comes. I'm in the chair, and I said, Gary, I got something to tell you. And I tell him, and he throws a walker in front of me, and he goes, show me. And I walked 10 feet unassisted. And he said, in the 25 years of physical therapy, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And then Gary, the look on his face changes, and he starts to panic because he goes, how am I going to tell the insurance company what happened? <laughs> so he fills out a report. He writes, act of God in big letters, and he sends it in. And they told him to keep working with me. So praise the Lord for that. This is when... Things started happening in my life, and I started to really just understand the power of words, and the Lord was beginning to teach me about that and understand the authority of the believer that we have through Christ Jesus. And I'd watch John Paul Jackson, and I'm like, I'm going to pray over my property and anoint it. And the Lord was going to teach me a really good lesson right here, that from this day forward, I had to be careful of this. So I anoint the property, and I pray, you know, rebuke in Jesus' name, command everything, you know, unclean to be removed. And, and then I say, and all the animals in the nearby area can come make their homes here <laughs> and be blessed off of what God has given us. I'm not kidding you. The next day, Chris could testify to this, hundreds of birds showed up, 16 deer and eight vultures. <laughs> and I'm hiding behind the couch on the phone with Barbara. And Chris comes home and he goes, where do all the birds come from? And he's looking around. And Barbara said, I need to go into prayer. Something is happening in you. So she prayed, and she was not well at the time. And the Lord said, you need to mentor Amanda to get her ready for what I have for her. And she obeyed, and she began a very intense six-month mentoring. You know, by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, by the spirit of the one true living God, she taught me that. 
And so she said, Amanda, the Lord is going to send many animals in and you're going to take care of them. So she tells me this and two ducks arrive. We had never had ducks in our pond in eight years, two, a, ma a mated pair of mallards. So rain, sleet, cold, pain, no pain. I'm trekking down every day with my cane, because I was out of cane at that point, to feed them. And as I'm doing this, my legs are getting stronger. As I'm doing this, the Lord's teaching me to hear his voice. He had a purpose for this, because he knows what motivates you. He'll use what motivates you to get you to do what he wants you to do. And so two ducks turned into 10, turned into 20, turned into 30, turned into 60, turned into 80. They would march up like a little army to our garage if I was late feeding them and stand vigil <laughs> and wait. And I'd be out there in the snow digging an area to feed them down by the pond. The Lord was teaching me stewardship. He was teaching me to be faithful no matter how I felt. Because when the Lord gives you assignment, how he feels matters more than how you feel. And he taught me this. And then a lost Muscovy duck named Jake uh, got, out at, got off at our stop at the stream and was lost. And the Lord said, you see him, you're going to feed him too. So Chris built him a pen. And then a duck named Daisy and a bully chicken named Jingle show up who was bullied at a neighboring farm. And here I am now. It's growing. And Chris is seeing this and panicking a little bit. And as I'm doing this, Barbara is mentoring me. And I was still afraid to pray out loud. I was still afraid to speak much about the Lord because everything was internalized from my childhood with my father. Because our image of God many times comes from our fathers, which is not very fair to him, but that's why it's so important to have fatherhood and biblical manhood back in this nation because children's images of Almighty God come from that. So what ends up happening is Barbara got tired of me being afraid one night to prophesy and to do these things. And she goes, Amanda, in the name of Jesus Christ, I loose your tongue right now. And I felt something fall off. And from that point forward, I was off and running. Never again. I was set free. And then I went to the enemy. You should have kept on the muzzle on me when you had your chance because now I'm going to speak. And so the sanctuary is beginning to grow and the ark is being built. And then there's something happening with Chris now. Chris's personality is changing. He's becoming hostile. He's becoming a little illogical. He is, um, he's not acting totally himself. And something was very wrong. And I begged him to go to a neurologist. And three, about a year prior to this happening, what I'm going to tell you, uh, the Lord had me start doing videos in February 2018. He told me to start making them. He had told me before that a couple things. I'm taking you out of obscurity and I'm bringing you into a new arena. If I really knew that what that meant, I would have hit under the bed and said, this conversation is over. We're done here. That's why he gives it to us in doses. And so he tells me this. He also tells me at the beginning of the following year, your husband is going to have a road to Damascus moment that's going to reroute and change everything in his life. I didn't know what that was, but I knew it was coming. So I start doing what the Lord wants me to do, and it starts growing, and I'm seeing things change, and I'm very troubled by it. It's making me sick almost because something was very wrong. And at the same time, his mother is fighting onset dementia, 
and my dad is fighting now onset dementia. And so I ended up, by the end of the year, it was actually days before January 8th, 2019, I'm in the kitchen and I feel a shift happen in the spirit. Now, if you've ever felt a shift in the spirit, it moves you. Like, you know it's happened. And I turned to Chris and I said, there's a bomb that's about to go off in your family. I don't know where, but it's going to go off. January 8th, he went to work. By the grace of God, he went to the house of a woman that had been a nurse for 20 years that day. He had something growing in his brain that we didn't know about called an AVM, which stands for arterial venous malformation. It's the cousin to an aneurysm. And it ruptured. And he hit the ground in a coma right there. And she began to do CPR on him while she yelled for her husband to call 911 because she knew what was happening. His employee raced onto our lawn to get me and said, you need to call the hospital, Chris collapsed. So I call and they said, your husband is in grave condition. We are prepping him for emergency brain surgery. He's had a massive hemorrhagic stroke. And my world stopped. You could do two things in a crisis. You can let your emotions get a hold of you or can you let God get a hold of you and listen to what he wants you to do. So you do what you're supposed to do. And the Lord said to me, you're gonna do two things. You're gonna take anointing oil. There he was after surgery. You're going to get anointing oil and you have to get to him before surgery because you are gonna jump in the gap and plead for his life. So I get up there and my first sight of him, he's switching on a ventilator. And the Lord was talking to me and he's like, Amanda, you have a job to do. I need you to put your emotions aside for a minute. Don't look at what you see, do what I'm telling you to do. Because his whole family was falling apart. They were panicking and I'm like, somebody has to leave. The best thing I could do for my husband right now is do what the Lord wants me to do. So I went in the room, I said, anybody that doesn't want to come into agreement, get out. Because I didn't want the extra warfare. This was like the general in me coming out. This was it, you know? Because I, at that point, had started driving two months prior to this. I'd become almost fully better. The timeline was that tight. And so what happens is I end up anointing him. And I prayed some things. I rebuked the devourer in Jesus' name. Um, one of the other things I said is I asked the Lord to loose his holy angels of all rankings and divisions to surround and protect this operation. And I said at the end of the prayer, Lord, I'm holding you to your word because he's bound by his word that Chris will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And he went into surgery. And the pastors arrived and I read Psalm 91 so many times during surgery and recited it. He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings we shall take refuge. His truth shall be our shield and buckler. Well, Carol, I'm going to fast forward for a moment 10 days later. Carol had ended up having an open vision for the first time in her life. She called me 10 days later. Now, Carol's not one to say this stuff. She goes, Amanda, everyone else is going to think I am out of my mind. You are the only one who's going to understand this right now. She said, when I was in the waiting room, a picture appeared before my face. She was so broken, Carol, when he went in. She, she was just sobbing. A picture appeared before her face. She says, I saw Chris and I saw Dr. Shannon, who Dr. Shannon told me Chris wasn't going to live. There was no way. And I thought, that's not your job, Dr. Shannon. That's for the Lord to decide. Go do your job. Go do what you need to do. God is going to do the rest here. And so a picture appears before her face and she sees Chris on the operating table and she sees Dr. Shannon. 
and she saw these enormous angels standing shoulder to shoulder surrounding them, protecting the operation. The second it left my mouth, they were dispatched. It was that fast. They were already in position before we even got there. They were waiting. God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. It is that quick. When we learn to use this as a sword and the authority it really carries. And so that's what I did. And two and a half hours later, Dr. Shannon comes out looking like a deer in headlights. And he went, he survived. <laughs> and then he says, the next three days are going to determine whether he lives or dies. And I went to myself, well, Jesus was in the tomb for three days. So the Lord is setting up to do something incredible here because Jesus resurrected in three days. So they told me if Chris did survive, he was going to be a vegetable in a wheelchair. That's exactly what they said, verbatim. And I didn't listen to that. I had to focus on what the Lord wanted me to do because everything I had been through leading up to this was preparing me to do this. And so he was in a coma and they said, we have to now rush him to Westchester Medical Center in the coma because we couldn't even touch the AVM because we had to take his skull off the left side of his skull, make a slit, put it in his stomach because the doctor said bone needs blood to live. So they made a slit, put it in. Quick thinking on Dr. Shannon's part. And so they said the AVM we couldn't even touch and if it ruptures, it's gonna kill him. So I gave permission for a special team to come up to take him down to Westchester. And I get there and Dr. Santorelli comes out looking 17 years old like Doogie Hauser, and he's gonna do the surgery. <laughs> and I'm looking around like, this is a joke, right? Like. This is not reality anymore. So he comes out very knowledgeable though. Amanda, was your husband in a prior accident? I said, yes, actually when he was 17 and I explained to him, he goes, now this all makes sense. He said, you have to have a prior trauma to the brain and an injury for this type of AVM to develop. And now it all comes out in the wash that Chris had had a brain injury from the first accident. And so I give permission and they go in and he goes, I don't think we're going to get it all in one shot. I'm just going to warn you. And he goes in and he comes out. He goes, we got it all in one shot. Cut off every blood supply to it. And now Chris is in a coma in the neuro ICU. And five days later, he wakes up paralyzed on his right side, unable to speak. No skull on his left side and taking swings because he's so disoriented. Uh, which happens when they suffer a brain injury. And so the, the, the very talented people that are there that really are compassionate, they understand that the people that work in the neuro ICU. And so he was downright hostile at the beginning, although when he woke up, when he first woke up, I had arrived minutes after and I grabbed his hand and he looked up at me and he squeezed it because he recognized me. He recognized me. And I said, you're stuck with me. I'm not going anywhere. And we ended up having to deal with some things with him. He was frustrated. He couldn't talk. His brain was disoriented. One of the only things that would calm him down is playing gospel music and praise music. So we had this really funny Korean nurse. He was hysterical. And every time Chris would act up, he'd go, Amanda, hit the music. I have other patients to see. And he'd march out the door. <laughs> and within about a week of that, Chris started to develop severe trouble breathing so bad they put high flow oxygen on him, he couldn't breathe. And they had no clue what was wrong. And I'm not, I'm trying not to panic because I want to hear the Lord. Like the Lord is showing me through this. So you listen for me, I'm going to give you the answer. 
And the Lord says to me, tell them they need to do a CAT scan to check his lungs for blood clots. Looked at the nurse, I said, have they done a CAT scan to check his lungs for blood clots? He checked, he said, no. I said, I want the doctor called and can you please do it? Called the doctor, had a discussion, wheeled him down. He had two blood clots, a third would have killed him. And they started going to me, are you in the medical field? And I went, yeah, actually the spiritual intelligence division. <laughs> so Chris's life was spared again. They did a, a surgery to make sure no other blood clots got to him. They put him on medicine. He, got, he started to get better. Now he's got to go to rehab. So now he goes to Helen Hayes and he gets there and he's incredibly frustrated. And he ended up wanting to communicate, but he couldn't even say the word no. Actually, the first word he learned was no in the rehab. I heard it a lot. No in sushi. And so he started to draw something. He drew what looked like a pair of pants in a box. And he's getting frustrated. He's pointing at it, and he's trying to get me to understand, and I'm getting frustrated. And I very simply said, Lord, if I can't understand him, I can't help him. And the Lord did a creative miracle. And I hear the Holy Spirit almost chuckling. And he goes, he wants to know where his wallet is. <laughs> I went shopping, Chris. No. So I said to him, are you asking me where your wallet is? He threw the pen down, put his hands up in the air. Hallelujah. <laughs> Someone finally understands me. And from that moment forward, I could understand him, even though he couldn't speak. They said, are you sure this accident just happened? Because you understand him all too well. That was the Lord. That, that was a creative miracle that happened because the Lord will equip you with every good and perfect gift that comes from above for you to walk through what he needs you to walk through. And that was one of them for me. He was there almost five months. He went back into surgery in May. He learned how to walk. He started learning how to talk a little bit. Um, he didn't have much use of his right arm, so they worked on that because the left side of his brain had been affected. He goes back into surgery so they can put the skull back on now and put the titanium screws in, like the bionic man, and he goes in. And after that, Chris goes to Burke. He has a setback in surgery. He's got to go to Burke. Now he goes to Burke, where I had been in 2004. Now I'm back. And we go, and after about three weeks, they say Chris is okay to come home. And so I started getting a lot of pressure from family who A, didn't think I could take care of him and B, wanted me to put him in a facility. People on my side too wanted me in, to put him in a facility. There were people on Chris's side who didn't think I could take care of him. Don't tell an Italian woman she can't do something. She's gonna do it. And I said, no, I took a vow before God and I'm bringing him home. And so I did. And he was home with me about two months until, from the scar on his brain, he developed epilepsy and had such a massive seizure, I had to call 911. And he was raced to the hospital. He couldn't stay awake. He was on an EEG 24 hours a day, took three seizure medications to stop it. And he had a setback from that, and he had to go to, this is late 2019, a place in Cortland Manor, a rehab. Before he went back in, we took in an orphan pig named Noble, who was three months old. And he was orphaned. He had no mother and no siblings. They had all died. And so Noble started coming with me to the rehab to visit Chris and the patients. 
put him on his harness, trained him. You go into every room, go see everyone. It was at the end of 2019, the timeline was so tight, he was brought home because at the beginning of 2020, we all know what happened. Otherwise, we would have been separated. And the Lord brought him home and my life changed. Chris needed help bathing. He needed help with dressing himself. He needed help with food. He needed help with a lot of things at that point. And so the Lord had brilliantly set me up at home to do what I do for him so I could continue his work, watch over the animals and take care of Chris. And we, we started embarking on this journey of adjusting to him being back home. We had been living apart for almost nine months, pretty much. And so we ended up um, going through an adjustment period of just me understanding our roles are kind of changing. And in order for me to help him, I have to relax a little and, and, and just try to figure out what he needs. Do whatever I need to do to try to just relax and not get so wound up because they look at things differently and so they can get frustrated over very little things and it could frustrate you. And so I had to start to learn that and he was in speech therapy at the time and he was in some occupational therapy and I brought him once a week to see his parents. His mother had begun to really go downhill and at the end of 2019, my father died. Chris came home a month later, my father died. He had suffered anoxic stroke he accepted the Lord three weeks before he died. And he's with the Lord. I've been praying since I was six. Don't stop praying for your family members because in due season, the Lord will, will bring that to pass. And so we did this for a year and I'm plugging along here and the Lord's starting to warn me I'm gonna have to start traveling. And I'm going, I just got home with this. And so he's warning me of this. I know it's coming. And at the end of 2020, a gentleman by the name of Clay Clark calls me, who wasn't too sure about the prophetic, but liked the fact I had a pig. He loved Noble, and he was just being introduced to the prophetic, and he had me on, and from there he called me and said, because back in that September I had prophesied, watch Tulsa, Oklahoma for a major event. A major event's going to come out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was Reawaken America at... Rima Bible College, which when Clay called me after that prophecy, he goes, do you have any idea what it is? I said, no, but it's going to be huge. And he called me and said, I want you to come on Reawaken America. Me and General Flynn are doing this, and I've gotten to know General Flynn too. And I have to tell you something, he loves the Lord. General Flynn, I've gotten to know personally. He loves the Lord. And he's learning, like all of us. And so I now realize I have to fly, Chris. And we had some wonderful friends that helped get us there so I could see how he did flying. And he did very well. And Chris could speak very little when we started. His speech has miraculously improved since then. And we have done every Reawaken America for over two years. Praise the Lord. For over two years we've been at this. Because I had to count the cost, and I also knew the Lord was calling us into this fight with the nation, and I had asked Chris how he felt about it, and he said, I want to stand up for the Lord and do this. And so we did. And while we're doing this, the sanctuary is growing. And we ended up taking in miniature horses, peacocks, multiple parrots that talk, so it makes for comedy. Last year on Passover, there was a lamb born on Passover. He was brought to our sanctuary because his mother rejected him. And the Lord said, I want you to name him Moses. 
And he started pointing out to me that, do you realize Moses doesn't know he's a sheep, he thinks he's a dog? Like these, these comparisons, you know? Do you realize Moses is growing up in, 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 this, in this big house while all the other sheep are outside? It was kind of a comparison to Moses growing up in the Egyptian palace. And we had a diaper on him and he's running around the house with the dogs and Missy, our Black Lab Golden Retriever mix, is raising him. And so this year, right before all the indictments and craziness started, the Lord sent us a German shepherd named Cyrus. He sent us a lamb last year, now he sent the shepherd, and this is God's brilliance at work. The Lord will speak to you if you will listen. Through many things and through the, the order of events, he's a God of order, in fact, he's a God of law and order way before the TV show ever happened. He's the God of law and order. And so the Lord, I have watched the Lord raise up the ark. You know, Jesus was our tabah. That's, that's ark in Hebrew. He was our covering. He took the beating for us. That's why it's called ark of grace. Because it honors what Jesus Christ did, but it also honors who God is. Where he's got a heart for his creation. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature. And we take these broken, orphaned animals and we take them in and we work with them and we love them and we end up getting them whole. And it's kind of like what God does with us. He sees us in our sick, broken, orphaned state. And he goes, I can work with this. And we take in what everybody else doesn't want. And many people have been rejected and the Lord goes, no, I'm going to raise them up. So it's the heart of God at work, what he has us do. It actually works together quite beautiful. And Barbara has watched the fruition of this come to pass. And now she's going, Amanda, there's big cats coming in. And I'm like, Lord, help me and prepare me because I asked for an elephant. Chris said no. He said, don't you ask God for it because he knows it may come. And... Chris and I, our marriage has gotten stronger through it. It's not easy with what we walk through, but it's gotten stronger. We laugh a lot. There's a lot of funniness that goes on with the animals. And he is a big part of the ministry. He loves to pray for people. He loves to just be in the presence of the Lord and worship. Because he had a face-to-face -face with God when that happened. And now the Lord, what he called him to do when he was young, he's utilizing him for now. So Pastor Sam is right. This is a full circle season. And the Lord is bringing a lot of things in your life back full circle to do it again. He's bringing the story back full circle. He's resurrecting what you thought was dead in your life. What you buried, talents you buried, things you didn't finish, he's bringing it back around in this season. He's doing it for the nation also. Nation's about to enter a big turn, and when a turn enters, everything leans. When you hit a, a turn fast in a car, everything goes whoop for a moment. It doesn't feel comfortable. But our security is not in the things of this world. It's in Almighty God through Jesus Christ. That's our security. When the world is shaking, we shouldn't be shaken because we have the authority. God doesn't need a majority always. He needs a minority that is faithful plus him. For change. Gideon's men were 300 against an army of 147,000. He needs faithful people. 
that are going to do what he's called them to do faithfully and stay the course and not try to circumvent the process. The process is the most important part. You won't be ready. You won't be ready. This nation's going through a process also. It is. And when I looked at Chris on that ventilator, I had a choice. Intercede or walk away. We have that choice in this nation right now. We have the authority. We are the conscience. The church is supposed to be the conscience. And I thank God that Pastor Sam and his wife are willing to speak truth. I thank God for that because I've heard him do it from the pulpit. Because this is the dividing line. The biggest division between the shepherds and the showmen you're going to see in this season. Because it's coming full circle. Shepherds defend their flock. They defend against predators. They don't welcome them in. They see a wolf coming, they are ready. It's wolves in sheep's clothing, not wolves in shepherd's clothing. And a shepherd has to discern that. It's not an easy job. And it's a rugged job. And it's a difficult one. And we have to pray for them. Because it's hard. It's taxing. I know. And you know what? The Lord gives me the strength every day. Every day. Stuff happens. Every day the Lord gives me the strength to walk through it. And he has just built me up and matured me through that to where me and Chris are today. And I give him all the glory for that. Mm -hmm. So I hope I, I raised some of your faith levels because if Pastor Sam's okay with it, we can have people come up to the front and your prayer team also. And we're going to anoint you because we want to see some people delivered and set free before this night is over. And if the, uh, if the music team wants to come up, that's up to them if they're here. Um, but we're going to just ask you, if you need healing, deliverance to be set free, if you feel like you can't get out of your own way, I want you to come up here because we're going to pray for you because Chris and I have walked through this and I've been through this process and we want to pray for you and we want to see some healing and, and see some chains come off tonight. So if you're feeling that way, you come on up.